kind of have that um, uh, nervous anticipation uh, today um, about this series. Actually, I was in early this morning and praying about it and journaling about it and saying, I'm, I'm really kind of nervous, uh, but in an excited way uh, as well about this series. This is a different type of series for us called The Games We Play. And um, we're looking at incredible teaching, uh, just incredible teaching uh, that Jesus gave many years ago. Uh, and it's all found in between three chapters of the book of Matthew. But to kick off this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? What makes you go, grrr? In fact, that's something. No, we're on the wrong one. Chris, what makes you angry? That's what makes me angry is when I move to the slide and you haven't, do you know what I'm saying? How many times have we re- I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> you did that on purpose just to make a point, didn't you? So that thing there, grr, that, that makes me angry when I see that on Facebook, when people write grr, because it's usually about ridiculously pathetic things. So when you do that tomorrow on the status, just remember, there is someone who's annoyed by that and that's me. Um, so what makes you angry? I don't know what makes you angry and gets your goat. One of the things I think is really interesting about human beings is how different they can be in different settings. So one of the, 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 the setting that for me shows the difference in behaviour is football matches, okay? Sorry if this alienates some of you, or right, but stick with me. I know some really calm, gentle, peaceful people who wouldn't say boo to a goose, but you get them through a turnstile and into a football environment and they become a completely different creature. It's like amazing. And in fact, I saw that with my own eyes when I was in Albania. Because when I was in Albania, the first part of the weekend, some of the young guys in the church we were working with, they're all a bit like Jack the Lad kind of guys. And they said, we want to play you at football, you see. Pete is a bit of a football player, so he, he was fine with it. I'm not, never have been really, dodgy knee, but I said, I'll kind of watch and coach from the side. Simon said, I was a player, I think I can still do it. So he got into all his kit. And so we're all set up for this build international relationship between British and Albanian Christians, okay? just need to say that, Simon, just to remind you of a few things there. Right? So this was, about, this was about building relations between Albanian and English Christians. So Simon gets ready and he's all relaxed and he's all calm and he's an Albanian guy and he's all chill. Then as the game went on, Simon realised that he'd lost a yard or two. Okay, he lost a few yards and so actually it was starting to blow a little bit and starting to puff a little bit, but he still got it. Do you know what I mean? Somewhere. He still got it all. And then he noticed out the corner of his eye that one of the young guys was coming at him full pelt. And apparently he thought to himself, I'm not going to let this guy knock me off the ball. So he did a bit of a taekwondo move, turned his shoulder like that. The guy full in the face got hit by his shoulder. This is what happens next. Okay. What, what, what you don't know there is Simon's praying for this guy. Okay. He's saying, get up before anyone notices. Be healed. Be healed. Rise in Jesus' name. But the thing was, you see, it hits him so hard, full in the nose, that this is what happened next. He's totally out. And, and literally, literally, I'm not kidding you, like 10 minutes before we could get him off the thing. Straight there, we thought he'd broken his nose. Just, just unbelievable how someone so calm and gentle could change into this, into this angry man. The funniest thing was, do you know the excuse? His nose ran into my shoulder, ref. His nose ran into my shoulder. I'm just joking. In fact, 
football, it's not just um, Simon is fine, okay? It was just a little thing. In fact, I know from my own experience, because I used to uh, coach the under-16, under-14 team here in the church, and to my shame, there was one game when I got so into this under-14 football match, I was their manager, I'm on the side, I got so into it, and I got so annoyed with the referee, he was probably about 17, bless his heart, trying to do his best on Saturday morning, I got so irate, the team we were playing against, which was a Sikh team, some of the leaders came over to me halfway through and said, you need to relax, it's just football. And I'm, I ain't kidding you, I am not proud of that, okay, I'm not proud of that. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm supposed to be here to be a, a, you know, a witness to these other brothers from another faith. And they actually said to me, just relax, it's under 16-year-old football, it's not life or death. And so that can happen, can't it? And if you're an Albion fan, you know what I'm talking about this morning, about what makes you angry. Guys, it's just football. Relax, relax. So I don't know what makes you angry. I don't know what makes you angry, okay? But I want to suggest to you this morning that all of us are angry birds. All of us are angry birds. Angry birds is a game. is isn't a board game. It's, it's, a, it's a video game. It's on your, your iPad and on your iPhone. How many of you got angry birds? Uh, you've ever played angry birds? Anyone ever played? Come on, loads of you have played angry birds. It was developed in 2009 in Finland. Very, very popular game across the world. Basically, the idea is that the birds have to kill the pigs. That's basically the idea of the game. Okay, it's not, it's not rocket science here. That's what they do. And they do it by uh, blowing up, by squashing, by knocking things over. That's basically the idea. There are some seasonal variations to the game, okay, about pigs. One's called Hammerween. All right, that's think creative, isn't it? And then there's the Christmas edition, which is Winter Wonderham. And there's a spin-off game called Bad Piggies, where the piggies get their revenge on the birds. Some of you are thinking, this is supposed to be a church. Do you know what I mean? What on earth is going on? But interestingly, underneath this whole concept is this whole concept of anger. Anger. And I want to suggest to you that anger is a big deal. It's not a game. Anger is not a game that we play. Well, it is a game that we play, but it shouldn't be because anger is a big deal because anger can destroy a life, a marriage, a family, a church, a community, a nation. We know that, don't we? It's Remembrance Day. We know that. We understand that anger not dealt with, can escalate and destroy lives for generations. And you know, when it comes to anger, there are games that we play. And even as Christians, and some of you may, may not be Christians today, and I hope this teaching really helps you. You might think, I don't get the whole faith in God thing. That's fine. That's fine. Just listen. But it may be that this teaching on how to deal with anger really helps you, even if you're not a believer. But if you are a believer, this is really important stuff because Jesus was speaking to believers and saying, if you're going to follow me, this is the kind of life that you need to live. Okay, so if you're a believer this morning, this really does include you. If you're not, this is great teaching anyway. Hopefully that will help you. But when it comes to anger, Jesus has some important things to say. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the most uh, important set of teaching that Jesus ever gave, which is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. It's between Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. It's like the greatest hits of Jesus, okay? That's really what it is. In those three chapters is everything. I mean, he talks about our attitudes. He talks about marriage and divorce and adultery and sex. He talks about money. He talks about worry and anxiety. Uh, it, there's the golden rule in there, you know, do unto others as you have them do to you, all of that. Uh, he talks about prayer. He talks about giving. It's everything is in this. It's like essential Christianity. It's how the faith really works out. How does it live out in real life? It was written by a guy called Matthew. He 
pulled it all together. Matthew was a Jewish guy who used to be a tax collector, which is very corrupt and very uh, unlike, disliked by the people. Then he followed Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And, um, and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, is, is, is predominantly written to Jewish believers who have an understanding that to please God and to be right with God, they need to do lots of things on the outside. They're trying to live out the Old Testament law in such a way that God would be pleased with them. But then Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 20, which is a key verse, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees were a group of leaders who started out really well, who wanted to love God and who wanted the people to love God, but they kind of went a little degree off track and over the course of time, if you go a little degree off track, you end up missing the island. And what the, where they went off track was just that, you know, if we're going to please God, we've got to do everything right on the outside Okay, so that we can please God. That's called righteousness. It's our righteousness, right living with God. But Jesus comes along and says, no, you've got it all wrong. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside that matters. And when you get it right on the inside, then things will flow right on the outside. And one of the key phrases that we're going to look at over the next few weeks is where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Why don't we practice saying that out loud together? Can we do that? You have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Because this is what you think. This is the kind of game that you've been playing. But I tell you, there's another way to live. And when Jesus spoke about anger, which we're going to look at in a moment, he was speaking to a culture that was pretty angry. It says in verse 38 of of Matthew 5, uh, it talks about the whole kind of the Old Testament um, principle taken from um, Lex Talionis, it's called. It's taken from Leviticus of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And when that was first, and we're going to look at this next week, when that was first devised, that was meant to be a proportional response to offence. So in other words, if Ian here steals something from me, a proportional response is not for me to chop his arms and legs off. All right? And so the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thinks, no, you nick something, so let's make the response proportional. That's how it started out. But it got to such a point by the time of Jesus when this whole thing about revenge and vengeance and retaliation was massive in the culture. And they were all angry birds. Now surely nobody lives life like that now, do they? Surely nobody lives literally like that, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Nobody does that. Well, I want to tell you this morning, folks, that people do live like that, literally. A week last Monday, Simon, myself and uh, Pete were in the north of Albania in a, in a town called Skodra. And some of you know this because I've talked about this before. And in that part of Albania, 500 years ago, when the Turkish Ottoman Empire were, were, were taking over all of the Balkan world, And uh, they were trying to do away with Christianity and trying to stamp out culture. What people in the north of Albania did was they all fled into the hills. uh, And they're trying to preserve their faith, their faith, Catholicism. And they were trying to preserve their way of life. And because of that, and in in response to that, they developed something called a canoon, which is a canon, which is a way of living. And part of that way of living was about how would we handle it when people hurt us. And basically that has developed into what we now know as the blood feud. And... um, we know that goes on because we've been in houses and we've sat and listened and watched uh, people. And many of you know that a friend of mine, Eleanor, and her husband, Tani, uh, Tani's uncle killed somebody many years ago. And, and as a long story short, Tani, three years ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, three years ago, uh, was shot dead at one o'clock in the afternoon uh, by a guy in another family. And so Eleanor is now a widow with two young children. And she now pastors the church, the only female pastor in a church in Albania that I know of anyway. 
And so she's based there now. And the church that we were in, a very small church, literally a stone's throw from the biggest mosque in the whole of the Balkans, is trying to bring the grace and the freedom and the forgiveness of God into that scenario. And so a week last Monday, we had the privilege uh, and honor of going into three homes that were all caught up in this blood feud. And they serve and support 40 families that are locked in their homes for the blood feud. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. Today, in Europe, this happens. And so we went to this one house and it's a lady called Diella who was probably in her 40s but looked a lot older than that and she told us her story through an interpreter about how her family had been caught up in three separate blood feud conflicts. One conflict alone cost 10 lives. Three people in her family had been killed, seven, family, seven in their family had been killed. It went on and on and on and then eventually one of the families killed her husband and her five-year-old son witnessed it. And as we sat there listening to this lady and listening to the hurt and the pain and all of this and the cult and all of that, my heart's going, my goodness. And I'm thinking about this, this, this passage of scripture, you know, anger in your heart and eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't stop. And I said to her, where is your son now? And she's, oh, well, he's, he's in Italy because he had to flee because, you know, and he's living in Italy. He's 17. And I said, what's going to happen when he's 18? And she says, well, I said, will it stop? Will, will he just say, right, that's enough. Forget it. Stop. Forgiveness. Finish. She said, I hope he does, but the last time I spoke to him on the phone, he said, Mom, when I'm 18, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back to kill. We went to another house, <laughs> which is a bit of an unusual experience. Where So we'd heard all that, and we went to his other house, which was incredibly poor, incredibly poor, like an African house that I've seen. Incredibly poor. And there's a, a, a woman in her 30s and a guy in his 30s, and he's sitting on, on a settee next to Simon, and we're sitting, and we're talking to the lady, and we're saying, and how did the blood feud start for you? And she said, my husband started it. He killed someone. To which we kind of went a little bit, okay, that's interesting. And all that had happened is that they'd had an argument with another family. And him and his uncle had gone to try and sort the argument out. And these guys wouldn't accept the thing. And then as they left the house, these guys started throwing stones at them. And this guy took a gun off his uncle and killed him. That's how it started. That's how cheap life was. That's how much anger can do. And so when we've been in that situation, and I've been thinking, people really live like that in Europe right now. We must pray for them, guys. You must, pray, you must pray for that church. It's incredible what they're doing. And every week they go in and they take food and they take stuff because these guys can't come out of the house. So this guy that we met with who started the blood feud, his family come and pick him up at the end of the fence. Okay, they look around. Is anyone here? They take him to work. He can only work inside. He can't work outside. It won't be safe. They bring him back and that's his life. That's how they live. We must pray for them. But you know, as, as, as I kind of was in that and thinking about that, I thinking, wow, you know, how can people still live like that? And it's easy then to tut and kind of think, you know, we're modern and we're sophisticated and that's so barbaric and so ancient. And we still, you know, why, how can you still live like that thousands of years after Jesus? But here's a question for you. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. But Leon, Jesus said 2,000 years ago, if you have anger in your heart, it's like murder. But you do, don't you? And I thought, yeah, I do. So 2,000 years after the teaching of Jesus, we may not be killing people in blood feud, but Jesus said 2,000 years ago, there's a different way to live, and it's not to live with anger, but it's to let that anger go. So before we get too judgmental about that, let's look at what the teaching of Jesus really was meant to say to us. So what is anger? Anger is an emotion related to an interpretation of having been offended, wronged, hurt or denied. It's a trigger response. So Dan hurts me in some way, offends me, wrongs me. My trigger response is anger, okay? That's a trigger response. There's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly normal, perfectly acceptable. It's what we do with that trigger response that is really important. 
We can't not have anger, okay? We can't not have it any more than we can not have hunger, libido, or pain. It's natural. Some research on anger says that the average man loses their temper six times a week, a woman three. Women get more angry at people. Men get more angry at things. Men are often more physical with their anger than women. Uh, uh, men are more, we're all more likely to express our anger at home than to strangers. And when I look at our culture, which shapes how we think, especially for our young people, but not just our young people, when I look at our culture, our media tells us how to think and how to feel. You know that, don't you? And one of the ways that it does it the most is through the medium of soaps, okay? Now, I used to watch soaps. I don't watch them anymore now. That's fine if you do. It's not judgmental. I just found myself getting so indoctrinated, infiltrated by how the media soaps tell us how to do relationships. So whether it's Corrie, EastEnders, Emmerdale, Towie or Made in Chelsea, they are all garbage when it comes to relationships, all right? It's fine if you want to watch them. It's fine entertainment if you want to watch them, but when it comes to how we do relationships, it's garbage because they're all based on the premise that you hurt me, I'm going to get you back. They're all based on that. He did this to me. She did that to me. And all of the intrigue is all around the vengeance, the anger, the retaliation. It's all telling you that's how to live your life. But Jesus came along and said, that's just like a game we play. Let's not live like that. Let's live a different way. Amen? Let's live a different way way now in our culture we have a rage for everything do you know that so we have road rage we have air rage we have rap rage which isn't the rap that Pete does okay music it's w-r-a-p this is what it is inability to deal with the frustration of hard to open packaging (laughs) and apparently some people suffer from rap rage so as it comes up to Christmas some of you all peaceful silent night you know, the baby's asleep, no crying he makes, but you are going to lose it over you can't get into that present. Okay, rap rage. There is trolley rage in supermarkets. There is computer rage. And this is really funny. This is really funny. I'm researching and writing on my, at home this week about computer rage on my iPad. And I'm writing about it and my iPad starts freezing. And as I'm writing about it, I'm bashing the daylights out of my computer. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, I understand God. This is what you're talking about. This is computer rage. We're all angry birds, if we're all honest. We're all angry birds. And some of you might say, yeah, but what about righteous anger? Yeah, there is a thing called righteous anger, definitely. But you know, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said this, anybody can become angry, that's easy. But to become angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and it's not easy. And I think that the righteous anger that Jesus does talk about is not what he's referring to here. And what I do and what many of us do is we use righteous anger as an excuse. No, I'm not angry. I'm righteously angry. No, you're not. You're angry. You're angry. And it's not righteous anger. It's anger. And we've got to deal with that anger. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not an angry bird. (laughs) Okay. Let, let me show you a few different kinds of angry birds. Let me show you a few different kinds of angers. There is the classic short fuse angry bird, of which I am one, okay? I know that. I'm this kind of short fuse. Bang, it's up, it's down. That's me, okay? That's my natural personality. I'm much better than I used to be, but God hasn't finished with me yet. How many of you know that's true for you as well, yeah? So there's the short fuse, basil faulty anger, if, you, if you're British and you know what that is, okay? That's me. But then there's the slow burner, There's the slow burner, it's underneath the surface and it's little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, it's getting angry and angry. I'll tell you what, when that one blows, you do not want to be anywhere near her or him. (laughs) Slow burner type of anger. And then there's kind of my favourite in terms of uh, describing it, the passive aggressive. 
See this a lot in church. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. It's all very calm, but underneath there's some stuff that spikes out. Winston Churchill, one of our favorite uh, famous prime ministers, and George Bernard Shaw, who was a writer, an author, a playwright, they were, lived at the same era and they didn't like each other. This is passive aggression, okay? This is a great story. So George Bernard Shaw sends a letter to Winston Churchill. says this, Dear Winston, I'd like to invite you to the opening night of my play. I enclose two tickets for you and a friend. P.S. If you can find one. <laughs> Ouch. Gets better. Churchill replies, Dear George, Unfortunately, I'm busy on your opening night. Please send me two tickets for your show on the second night. P.S. If there is one. <laughs> Woo! That's, that is called passive aggression. Okay? It's anger. It's underneath the surface, but it spikes up and it is deadly. And it is toxic. Then there's the fourth type of angry bird, I think. Permanently simmering is what I call it. Where you, there's just some people, you just think, you're just angry about everything. You're just angry about, you just are permanently angry. And if you're not angry about something, you're angry because you're not angry about it. And what, I've got nothing to be angry about. You are permanently simmering. Let's look at what Jesus says about anger. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard, you've heard that it was said, here he goes. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and we'll get into Raka in a minute, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. Not very popular teaching, you'd imagine. Jesus is saying, to be angry in your heart towards someone else is like murder. Murder is the outside, the external action but the anger is the internal emotion. And he says, listen, if you want to please God, if you want to live right, if you want to stop playing games, you've got to get the internal to match the external. You've got to start inside before you move outside. And then he says, if you say to your brother, racket, and basically racket was a kind of a slang Aramaic term, very difficult to translate. It just means that you just think that someone's a useless, worthless person. Okay, so if you want a, kind of an insult and you don't want to swear or anything, then raka is an Aramaic one. And then he says, or you say, you fool. That's the word moros, where we get the word moron from. Basically, if you treat people who are made in the image of God like that, that they're nothing, they're worthless, they're contemptible, you end up, you could end up almost like being in the fires of hell. And he's not talking about heaven and hell. He's talking about a literal place outside of Jerusalem where they used to dump the rubbish called Gehenna. Okay, that's what that word means. Literally where they used to, it's the rubbish dump of the city. In other words, if you live like that, you're going to live as if you're living amongst the rubbish. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to live than living like that. Then he moves it up a gear or two by then saying, okay, what about conflict within believers? So if you're not a Christian this morning, this doesn't apply to you, okay, it really doesn't, and you can just listen, and you can sit back thinking, I'm quite glad that doesn't apply to me. But if you are a believer, it really does apply to you, because this is what it says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and, and what he's talking about is, if you're going to worship God, because what they would do in the temple system is that they would go and they would buy a pigeon or a dove or whatever as their gift, and they would bring it to the temple as their gift of worship to God. If you're going to worship, okay, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not you against them, but they have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. This is powerful teaching. He's saying if you're going to worship God and you remember, oh, there's somebody 
I haven't got anything against them, but I think they've got something against me. Before I worship, I should go to them and say, hey, can we chat? Because there seems to be a barrier between us. And what Jesus is saying is this, if there is a barrier between you and other believers, there will also potentially be a barrier between you and God. That's powerful, isn't it? And Jesus is saying that to these people. See, we sometimes wonder why there seems to be a barrier between us and God. Sometimes it's because of the inability to deal with our relationships, where it's broken down with another believer. You see, I think that anger is often connected to hurt, and hurt is often connected to sadness, and sadness is often connected to love. A lack of love, a rejection of love, a love that's gone wrong. Somehow there's a connection between the love, hurt, sadness, and anger. So what can anger do? Anger is only one letter short of the word danger. And it can be dangerous. Let me tell you why. Anger can be very expensive. How many of you have regretted losing your temper at any point in your life? I know I have. I know I have. It can affect your health. Roman philosopher Seneca said, anger is like an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it's stored than to anything on which it is poured. So in other words, the damage it can do outside is nothing compared to the damage it can do on the inside. It can contaminate your attitudes and actions. You, you can't hide it. Eventually it will leak. And, and what I think is that often anger in some area of our life displaces and leaks out into other things. So I often realize that this warning sign for me is when I'm very angry and irritable about little things that don't matter, I'm, something's going on and I need to stop and say, Lord, what on earth is going on inside of me? And recently I was with a leader of another church and we were sat having coffee and um, he began to talk and talk and it didn't take long before just the anger just to start piling out of this guy and the hurt and the pain. And then when he started talking about another leader in the same church, my goodness, you realize what's going on there and you can't hide it once it gets to that point it leaks out it contaminates your attitude it also distorts your perspective this happens a lot with young people I've noticed uh, perhaps older people as well but but especially with young people and young adults this happens a lot our imagination goes crazy he looks at me weird she blanked me he's talking about me she's talking about me paranoid I'm not paranoid who's paranoid and, and it's this whole kind of distortion of perspective and the anger underneath builds and builds and builds and it can destroy relationships and lives for generations you see anger is connected to hurt and hurt is connected to sadness and sadness is nearly always connected to love but you know the bible says in ephesians 4 in your anger do not sin so god never says it's wrong to be angry he says when you are angry because you will be because you're human don't sin so when you're angry deal with it properly so how do we deal with that anger? How do we stop playing angry bird games? Three things I want to share with you. Firstly, don't dismiss or deny your anger. Deal with it. Don't dismiss or deny your anger. Deal with it. We often hold on to our anger because we're looking for justice, revenge, to even the score. The problem is when we hold on to our anger, the only person it's damaging is us. And it's damaging is us. Don't hold on to it. Don't deny it. Don't dismiss it. Deal with it. Secondly, don't delay confrontation Deal with it now. If you know there is somebody in your life that you need to walk towards, do it now. When I was talking this through with, with Alice, my wife, this week, she said, you do realize that loads of people in the church will probably knock on your door and want to have a chat with you, don't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. So I thought I'd set it up like a delicatessen thing, you know, with, with, with a number so you can you know, line up this thing. But that's fine. That's fine. Because it's better to be dealt with than not. So don't delay confrontation. Deal with it now. Thirdly, don't discuss your anger with others for prayer it's not prayer it's gossip and it's destructive 
And the Bible says gossip is also like murder because what you're doing is you're killing somebody else's reputation and name. So you think, well, I haven't killed them. Well, you have. If you've gossiped about them, and can I just say, if you gossip about someone else, you are likely to, when, if you're listening to gossip, just remember that if you're listening to gossip, okay, about someone else, you probably, they'll probably gossip about you as well. So just, just a little one for nothing there. So let's deal with it properly. Matthew 18, 15 to 16, fantastic teaching. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Seven steps here, very, very quickly, okay, just because of time. Seven steps. Number one, acknowledge conflict, if there is anything. Okay, so you just got to acknowledge it first. Then number two, take responsibility. You go to them. Now you might say, but it's not my fault. Here's where Jesus is genius. Because in Matthew 5, he says, if you remember someone has something against you, okay, in Matthew 18, if you acknowledge someone has done something to you. So Jesus puts them both together. Says whether it's you who's been hurt or whether it's them that are hurt by you, doesn't matter, you go. So none of us can say, well, it wasn't my fault. They need to take the first step. No, they don't. We take the first step always, always, always. This is the walk of reconciliation. Approach the person. Don't avoid the person. It says, if, then go to them. So don't blank them. Go to them. Go calmly and go prayerfully. Make sure there's nobody else. Number four, it's just between the two of you. So you're not sharing it with your friends to pray, okay, because that's called gossip and that's like murder. What you're going to do is you're going to go towards them, just the two of you. You're going to use sensitivity, not accusing, not venting, watching your body language and speech, but direct communication. Show him his fault. You describe what you've observed or experienced, how it hurt you, what consequences have been, and ask for the change that you would like. So, so, so you're not going like with your finger like that. You're not going to say, you did this and you said that and you did that. You're going you're gonna to go and say, can we talk? Do you know, it seems to me that, or I get the impression that, or when that happened, this is how it, those kind of, that kind of posturing, yeah? Because you're not going to have a go at them. You know, when people say to me, oh yeah, I understand that. I'm going to go, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm saying, oh, that's not what the Bible says. It's about reconciliation. The seventh thing is you're aiming for reconciliation. Jesus says, if you can do that, you've won them over. And I tell you what, I've experienced this myself. The presence of God is unbelievable when you're in conflict resolution. When you get through that and there's that sense of forgiveness and grace and acceptance and love, it's like the presence of God is amazing. Talk about worship services. The times that I've experienced the presence of God the most is often those kind of times. There's no keyboard in sight, but there's a heck of a lot of the presence of God. There's something beautiful. You know, it says in... um, Jacob and Esau, they had that big argument between each other, those two brothers. And, and when they saw each other, oh, Jacob said to Esau, looking at your face is like looking at the face of God. You see the line in Les Miserables, it's from the Bible. It says, looking at your face is like looking at the face of God. Reconciliation is, like, is what God's all about. It's what God is all about. So I want to encourage you this morning to respond. I really do. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Because there are two ways in which you can respond this morning. Firstly, I'm going to ask you to breathe. And then secondly, I'm going to ask you to believe. What I'm going to ask you to breathe about. Some years ago, a guy called Bill Bright, um, American, uh, it doesn't matter who he is, he basically developed something called spiritual breathing. It's such a simple spiritual discipline. And he basically said this, spiritual breathing is a lot like normal breathing. You breathe out and you breathe in. When you breathe out 
Out goes all the impure stuff, the carbon dioxide. Out goes all that stuff and you breathe in the pure stuff that you're meant to, to, to breathe in. So what that is, is when you breathe out, literally what that involves pausing, confessing, repenting, letting go, breathing out that anger. When you think about that person, what comes into your mind and just breathing that out and then you're breathing it and that involves surrendering to God, asking for the fullness of his spirit, receiving, breathing the spirit in. There's a great verse in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So basically what I'm going to encourage you to do is to breathe out. Can we try it together? You think we're really crazy now. And breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And I tell you, because I do this, use this sometimes when I've been in moments where the anger comes up just to pause and to breathe out and say God I'm sorry for that reaction God if there's anything in me confess that let that go and then to breathe in God I want to be filled with your spirit give me that spirit of grace towards that person I don't want to walk towards them I do want to talk about them to other people that's what I do want but I know that's not right that's just a game and I want to be better than that and we breathe in the spirit of God we breathe out and we breathe in and some of you this morning you've been hurt you've been hurt by other people Some of you have been hurt by life and circumstances. Some of you are angry with God. And some of you are angry with your mom and your dad. Some of you are angry with your kids. Some of you are angry with your best friend. Some of you have been betrayed by your best friend. Some of you are angry with your business partner. Some of you are angry with your boss. Some of you are angry with your pastor or your leaders. You're angry with another pastor, another leader, a previous church. Do you know what? Anger's a killer. Anger's a killer. Let it go. Breathe it out. And breathe in. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask Abby and the team to come. They're going to sing over you for the next five minutes. Is that okay? Hopefully it's not too wacky for you. But they're going to sing for the next five minutes. And while they sing, all I want you to do is to sit there. Don't move. Please don't move if you can for the next five minutes. And just breathe out and breathe in. And as she sings, and as you breathe out and breathe in, I want to encourage you that as you breathe out and breathe in, to think about people. Think about the hurt. Think about the anger. Think about the people that you've got the issue with. Bring them to your remembrance and say, Lord, I want to breathe this out. And God, please, your help, your spirit. You know, I sat there in a a garden with Eleanor and her sister uh, a few months ago in Albania in front of a family whose son had been shot 60 times with a machine gun and killed outside their front door two weeks before. And there's tears streaming down his face. And, and the wife is sat there cold and passive, just talking about revenge. But the dad is broken. And he's saying to Eleanor, my friend, you, they killed your husband. How can you forgive them for that? And she said, only through the power of God. Because he has forgiven me. And I breathe it in. And every time I feel angry, I breathe it in and remind myself that God has forgiven me. God gives me the power to forgive others. If not, it just goes on and on and on. And it's a killer. So I want to encourage you, as Abby sings, to meet God this morning. To meet God this morning. To breathe out and to breathe in. And for some of you, it's going to mean digging back a little bit in the past. For some of you, it's right there on the surface. You know exactly what it is. But let God meet you. Let God take some of that anger away and replace it with His Spirit of grace and love.
Maybe you felt God speak to you through that and mention the personal situation. See your hand. You got, you got touched you. There was somebody or something that came to your mind and you began to, how many of you? Somebody hand up. Respond to him. Yeah. Amen. And I want to encourage you to keep thinking about that breathing. You know, what a different world it would be is if before we reacted, we breathed. And we breathed out and breathed in. What a different world we might live in. And you know, the second thing, this is where we're going to draw to a close this morning, is not only breathe, but believe. And what I, what I think God wants you to believe is this, that God is not angry with you. Anyone excited about that? God is not angry with you. I think a lot of people still think God is angry with them. A lot of people who are Christians think it. Certainly a lot of people who are not Christians, they think, well, if there is a God, he's that angry one, isn't he? But, but this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 54. For a brief moment, tiny moment, really, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I'll bring you back. In a surge of anger, God says, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I'll have compassion on you, says the Lord. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. In other words, I was angry with you, but now I'm not. God is not angry with you. You might have lived all your life under that disapproval that sense of disapproval from a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or a boss or a teacher. But God is not angry with you. All of the anger that he's ever had towards us as human beings has been placed upon Jesus. And all that anger is gone now. And all he has for us is love and compassion. So we're going to take communion. Thanks, guys. And as we take communion this morning... And if you don't know what that is, it's just bread and it's juice. It's symbolic of the bread, of the body, sorry, and the blood of Jesus. And this is just a pictorial thing. It reminds us that God has placed all of his anger, righteous anger because of our sin and our separation from God. All that went on Jesus. Jesus took it all so that now we receive grace and love and forgiveness. The guys are going to come and they're going to hand it out to you. What I want you to do is to hold the bread and hold the cup. Don't eat and don't drink. We're going to do it together. Is that okay? We're going to do it as an act, a corporate act together of saying this proves that God is not angry with us. And if God is not angry with me, then I, because God is living in me by His Spirit, I can release others and I don't have to be angry with other people because God's not angry with me anymore. Isn't that great? So they're going to come and give it out. Give it out as quick as you can, guys, please. Just get cracking on there. Hand it straight out. Let me read that verse to you again from the message. Your Redeemer, God, says, I left you, but only for a moment. Now with enormous compassion, I'm bringing you back. In an outburst of anger, I turn my back on you, but only for a moment. It's with lasting love that I'm tenderly caring for you. goes on to say, I'm promising now no more anger, No more dressing you down. For even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. Isn't that great? Even if mountains fall apart, I'm going to still love you. He's not angry with you any longer. Breathe that in this morning. Breathe that in. God is not angry with you.